Well, guys, let's dive into our message today. You know, our response to who Jesus is should be to respond to his commands as they are supreme commands to us. And so we should obey them because Jesus, as we saw last week, has given us a new identity and a new purpose. In him, we have, have this new identity. And today we're going to see how the prophets of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus' coming, how the apostles pointed to Jesus actually being the Messiah and that Jesus himself has come to bring the grace of God. And as we're going to see, the grace of God changes everything for us. We no longer live as we used to for these evil desires, but we now are conformed to become obedient children of God through Jesus Christ. For he who calls us is holy, and so we too should be holy. Last week, we started our study of 1 Peter, and we looked at this foundation that Peter really lays out for the rest of his letter, and that is that our identity is new in Jesus. Jesus has bought us, he has cleansed us, he has fixed our cracks, and he has given us a new purpose. And with this new purpose and this new identity, Jesus has chosen us to be set apart. Peter calls us exiles. Today he'll call us foreigners because we are to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Even if we aren't exiles and foreigners from our country, we are to live as such because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Our new identity in Jesus should bring us to respond with our lives, with living lives that are pleasing to God and not living for ourselves anymore. Lives of obedience to God is our response to what God has done for us in and through Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. Please take one as a gift from us. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. And if you're looking for uh, 1 Peter, it's almost at the, the back of the Bible. It comes right after the book of Hebrews and James and right before 2 Peter uh, and 1, 2, and 3 John. And as you're turning there to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, I want you to think about this question. How has Jesus changed your life? How has Jesus changed your life? Let's dig in to 1 Peter chapter 1. Read along with me in verse 10. Peter says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with great care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that we that that now have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven and even angels long to look at these things. Let's pause there for just a moment. It's important for us to remember that this message that Peter and the other apostles have shared about who Jesus is and about what Jesus did and about what he came to do isn't something that they just made up. In fact, 
Jesus' coming and even Jesus' dying on the cross and raising from the dead was God's deliberate plan from the beginning. And in fact, the prophets of the Old Testament were looking for the coming Messiah. God's plan was revealed through the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus is a fulfillment of those promises. And I think it's important for us to remember as New Testament followers of Jesus, sometimes I, I think as preachers and as, as, as Christians, I think sometimes we can focus on the New Testament, on this new covenant, and almost say that the Old Testament is out of date. We don't need that anymore. But that's not how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saw the Old Testament. And that's not how they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus as a fulfillment of all of the promises that God had made in the Old Testament. All the promises that God had made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Israel and to all the others, to David. Jesus fulfills these promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And Peter points us to that fact here. He says the prophets of old, they searched intently for the Messiah. Now the word Messiah is, means the sent one of God, and that's the Hebrew word. Another word that we see that means the exact same thing is Christ. Messiah and Christ, they mean the same thing. Christ is the Greek word, Messiah is the Hebrew word, and both of them mean the sent one of God. And so Peter says, look, the prophets of old, they searched intently for the Messiah. They inquired about the coming of the Christ. They were longing to see the day that they were predicting that would happen. And God was revealing to them how he was going to, to save not only Israel, but all of mankind from their sins. And so they were longing and, and wondering, when would it come? When would this happen? And in fact, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, even though they're not the last books of the Old Testament, they come at the very end of the time frame of the Old Testament. Ezra and Nehemiah lead a group, a remnant of Israel that had been taken off into captivity, into exile. They lead them back to Jerusalem and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple. And the very end of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah says, hey, God, I have restored the people of Israel to you. We've rebuilt the walls. We have uh, set apart the priests. We have re we've led the people to repent of their sins and turn back to you. Uh, now, are you going to come? <laughs> now, are you going to fulfill your promises that you've made? Nehemiah was looking for the Messiah. He thought that, that once he had the walls rebuilt and once he had restored the priests and worshiped to God through Israel, that, that God would immediately come and bring his Messiah. But what we have is we have 400 years of silence from the end of Nehemiah's question to Jesus' coming. 400 years before Jesus would come and fulfill all the promises that God had made. There are 48 major prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the coming Messiah, and Jesus has fulfilled all of them. These prophecies are about the Messiah's coming, about his birth, about the way that he would live, about the things that he would do, even about his death, and even about his resurrection. And Jesus has fulfilled them all. The odds of that happening are something like 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Nearly impossible. But that's what God does. He does the impossible. 
Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 17, he says, For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus tells his apostles, that the, the prophets of old, they long to see this day coming. Peter says that the prophets of old, they, they pointed to this day. They longed to see God fulfill his promises in sending the Messiah. They knew that God was going to do something amazing. They just didn't know when he was going to do it. Peter tells us that the, the prophets pointed to Jesus' coming. And then he also tells us that there were preachers led by the Holy Spirit who pointed to Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth being the Messiah. And those preachers are the apostles. And we talked about this as we studied the first couple of chapters of Acts, that we have what the apostles have taught. Their eyewitness accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of the New Testament give us the records of what they taught and what they saw. They pointed to Jesus being the Messiah, and they used the fact that he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. They proclaimed that, that Jesus came to bring God's grace to all people. And that's exactly what Peter did in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, we just looked at this a couple weeks ago, but I think it's important for us to go back and, and see Peter's words in the context of, of how this plays out in God's plan that he made from the very beginning. And Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, he said, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So it wasn't something that they were just making up. This was God's deliberate plan. To help, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then Peter goes on in his sermon on the day of Pentecost to, to share some other prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, like the prophecies of David. And then he declares this about Jesus in verse 32. He says, God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. He has exalted him to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter tells us that the prophets of old pointed to Jesus' coming and to him bringing the grace of God, not just to Israel, but to all mankind. The apostles announced that Jesus was a fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament to bring the grace of God. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came, that he lived the life that you and I can't, perfect, without sin. And then he died the death that you and I deserve on the cross. And all of this was part of God's deliberate plan. God intended it to be this way. God knew that we couldn't do anything about our own sin. And yet, God is still just. And knew that there must be a punishment still for sin. And so, he took the punishment that you and I deserve 
and he placed it on the one who didn't deserve it, his son Jesus. That's grace. God has given us what we don't deserve. He has given us forgiveness. Jesus came. He died according to God's deliberate plan. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, paying our debt to sin, to cleanse us, to fix us, and to repurpose us. That's the good news of Jesus. So then the question for you and I is if that is the good news of Jesus, if that is who Jesus is and what he has done, then how should we respond to it? How should we respond to who Jesus is and what he's done? How should we respond to the gospel? Well, Peter tells us in the next verse. Look at verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, therefore, Ed always says, if there's a therefore in Scripture, why is it therefore, right? Go back and look before, okay? We just saw that because of who Jesus is. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be revealed to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So Peter says here, our response, therefore, to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the, the good news that the prophets of old pointed to, that the apostles pointed us to, our response to the gospel is to prepare our minds for action to have our minds alert and fully sober. I like the way the King James Version translates verse 13. It says, to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, it's not a phrase that we use nowadays, but in that time, everybody wore robes. Men, women, everybody wore robes. And as fashionable as robes were at that time, sarcasm, okay, um, <laughs> they, they weren't the best for running or fighting or doing anything where you had to move your legs, right? Um, and so what they would do is men would wear belts around their waist, and when they had to move their legs for action, when they had to fight, when they had to work, when they had to do stuff, they would take their robes and they would tuck them into their belt so that they could move their feet quickly, so that they were ready for action. And so Peter here is saying, hey, we need to roll up the sleeves of our mind. We need to prepare our minds for action. We need to take off our coats. We need to get ready for action. Peter says that we need to get our minds right. We need to be alert and fully sober, ready for action. Having our minds alert and fully sober, having our minds that are calm and clear. And we do that by fixing our hope, not on ourselves and not on our circumstances, but fixing our hope on the grace that has been brought to us through Jesus Christ and the grace that we long to see fully restored when he returns one day and reveals with his coming. The prophets have pointed to this grace. The apostles announced this grace. Jesus brought this grace. It has been revealed by him to us. So let's get our minds ready for action. So how do we do that? How do we get our minds alert and fully sober? How do we get our minds ready for action? How do we gird up the loins of our mind and prepare them for action? Well, it takes us daily having our minds renewed 
by the truths of God's word. By the truths of God's word. I say this all the time, and maybe you're tired of hearing it from me, but it really does come down to this. Are you engaging in Scripture every single day or not? Are you picking up God's Word and reading it every single day or not? It really comes down to that. Because if we aren't, if you aren't picking up God's Word and reading it every single day, your minds won't be renewed and your minds won't be ready for action. They'll not be clear and alert and fully sober. Sober. We must adjust who we are to the truths of God's word and not the other way around. And if we don't know the truths of God's word, then we can't adjust who we are and what we do to it. And so we must daily pick up God's word and engage and study and read. Here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we grow by studying the Bible together. We increase our desire to know the inspired and errant word, but we don't just stop with knowing it. But we know it so that we can humbly obey its truth in everyday life. This is how God grows us. This is how God transforms us, by us daily examining his word. In fact, that's one of our goals here at Journey Church, to be like the Bereans. The Bereans in the book of Acts, they were of noble character because daily they were examining scripture. And we've said that we want to be a people who are daily examining God's word. Friends, if we want to get our minds ready for action, then we need to be daily renewing them with the truth of God's word. We've got to pick it up. We've got to read it. We've got to study it. I've shared these stats before, but I think they, they need to be shared again. It's found that someone who engages in Scripture at least four times a week or more, these things are true about them. Somebody who picks up God's word at least four times a week or more is 228% more likely to share their faith. Is 407% more likely to memorize scripture. Someone who picks up and, and studies and reads God's word at least four times a week is 30% less likely to feel lonely. 32% less likely to be angry. 40% less likely to be bitter. 57% uh, less likely to struggle with alcoholism. 59% less likely to view pornography. 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. I wonder if any of these stats relate to us. I know they do to me. Man, if we would just pick up God's word at least four times a week and read it, God would begin to transform our hearts. And these are the results that we could see in our life if we would pick up God's word daily and renew our minds so that they're ready for action, so that they are alert and fully sober. Our response to, to what Jesus has done for us is for us to roll up our sleeves for action, to gird up the loins of our mind and prepare them for action by daily reading and engaging in God's word in the Bible. 
so that our minds are alert and fully sober. And when we do, here's what the results will be. Look at what Peter tells us in verse 14. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter tells us that when we prepare our minds for action, when we are, have our minds that are alert and fully sober, we will be as obedient children to God, not as we used to live. We saw that last week in our old self when we lived in ignorance, but as our new self, as of who we are in Jesus. Remember, Jesus has bought us. He has cleansed us. He has fixed us and he has repurposed us. We are holy because Jesus has made us holy. And so our response to Jesus making us holy is then to start living as holy. We are holy because Jesus has made us holy And then we strive to reflect that, not only in our lives individually, but as the church as well. Not that we are perfect, but that we are striving to live out what we are on the inside and what Jesus has already done to us. We reflect outwardly what Jesus has already done inwardly to our identity and to who we are. Our response to grace is to live in obedience. We don't respond in obedience to get grace, but our response to grace is to live in obedience. Not to earn grace, but to respond to grace. Jesus saves us, now let's start living like it. Jesus has forgiven us, now let's put to death that old life and start living in this new life. I love what Doug Burrier says. He says, in the old life, we adjusted God's truths to us. But as followers, we adjust who we are to God's truths. Let me say that again. In our old life, we adjusted God's truths to us. But as followers, we adjust who we are to God's truths. We adjust our self-view to God's view of the new us. We adjust our behaviors to God's direction so that we can enjoy more of the new us and the new life that we have been given. Who we are in this world becomes transformed to look more and more like who we already are on the inside. When people follow God, they become something new. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that we have been made new in Christ. And with this new identity in Christ, we also have been given a new purpose and a new mission, a new job. We become Christ ambassadors. We become agents to the King of Kings because he has made us new. And so in response to Jesus making us new, we start living like we are new. We start conforming our lives to meet God's word and not trying to conform God's word to meet us. We have too much of that in the world around us, that we pick and choose what we want, what we agree with, what we like, and we throw away the other things. 
It's not how this works. We are to be transformed and changed by what God has told us. We don't change God's word to fit what we think. We change what we think to fit with what God has said. This is who we are. So let's start living like it. We live in obedience and response to the grace that God has given us through Jesus. First, to bring honor to God, to to live lives that are pleasing to him. And then secondly, as Peter is going to share with us in the weeks to come, in order to set an example for others so that they too will learn to glorify God through our good deeds. Don't let your character be molded by the desires of your old ignorant way of life, but rather let your character be formed into the example that Jesus has given us with his life. Look at verse 17 in 1 Peter. He says, Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. So Peter says here that we are to live as obedient children to our father. And who's our father? God is our father. Now, God is the one who judges impartially. We are to conduct ourselves here as foreigners. Remember, Peter's already called us exiles. And remember, Peter isn't writing to people who are living outside of their their native country. But he's trying to tell them that this is how we are to live. We are to live as foreigners, as exiles here because we are citizens of the kingdom of God and we do so with fear, with awe of who God is because we have not been redeemed with meaningless, perishable things like silver and gold. We have not been redeemed by the things that we used to live for. Those things haven't satisfied us and filled us. This was our old, empty way of living. But that's how we used to live, isn't it? We used to try to live for those perishable things. And we thought, man, if I just have a little bit more money, if I just have that title, if I just have that success, if I just have that relationship with that other person, if I just have that other thing, then finally I will find satisfaction. In our core, we knew that something was wrong, and so we tried to fill it with all of those other things. But as we saw what C.S. Lewis told us last week, he said when we look for ourselves, what we find is loneliness, despair, and decay. When we look for Jesus, we'll find him and everything else. This is what Solomon tried. He he writes to us and tells us about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, I deny myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labors. And this was the reward of all my toil. And yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and, and what I had toiled to achieve, look at what he found. Everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon tried all kinds of other things to fill 
the emptiness that was in his life. He tried work, he, he tried stuff, he tried money, he tried pleasures, he tried relationships, anything and everything that he could find to fill his life. And what he found was that all of those things were meaningless, were pointless, were chasing after the, the wind. He found that trying to fill his life with any of those things was meaningless. But we have not been redeemed by meaningless things. We have not been redeemed by pointless things. We have not been redeemed by perishable things. This is what we have been redeemed by. Look at verse 19. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Friends, we have not been redeemed with perishable, meaningless things like silver and gold. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And this is why we conduct ourselves in fear of God, in awe of God. This is why we strive to live holy lives. This is why we are not conformed to our old, ignorant, empty way of life. This is why we prepare our minds for action, to be alert and fully sober, because Jesus has redeemed us by his precious blood. He has given us life and forgiveness by his sacrifice, by his precious blood, his unblemished blood, by his spotless blood. Jesus has redeemed us. Now here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we want to live lives that are pleasing to God. And that means that every day we joyfully give God the best of everything we are and everything that we have. We trust that Jesus is all that we need and we are transformed by who he is and what he has done. Our response to the grace that God has given us through Jesus is to live lives that are pleasing to him. And that means that every day, we are giving him the best of everything that we are and everything that we have, not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day of our lives, giving him the best of everything that we are because of who he is and what he has done every day, being transformed by Jesus to bring honor to God, to live lives that are pleasing to God every day with everything we are because of what Jesus has done for us. The prophets of the Old Testament, they searched and they pointed to him. The apostles came and they, they preached him. Jesus came and he brought us the grace of God because Jesus has given us everything. He has bought, brought us to faith in the Father. Through him, we believe in God. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one that is sent by God. He is the Redeemer, the Savior, the one that has showed love through pain, that has showed grace through suffering, the one that has brought life through death. This is Jesus. And through Jesus, we see God. In Jesus, we see the fullness of God dwell 
in bodily form. He's fully God and fully man. God in the flesh. The prophets pointed to him. The apostles pointed to him. The good news of Jesus, that Jesus would come in the flesh, that Jesus would come to redeem us with his precious blood. Jesus has brought us back to God. He changes us. He has given us a new identity. He has cleansed us. He has fixed us. And therefore, we set our minds alert and fully sober, ready for action by fixing our hope on his grace. Now, friends, I know that some of us this morning have been searching for what's missing in your life. And friends, let me tell you, the problem is that you are trying to fill that what's missing and that longing with empty, meaningless things. You've thought, man, if I just had that car, then, then everything would be all right. If I just had that house or that job or X amount of money, then I would be satisfied. Hey, maybe you've thought, man, if I just had that one woman or that one man, then my life would be complete. They would make me complete. Or maybe you've even tried to ignore that emptiness and that longing that's in your heart and tried to cover it up by turning to pills or to the bottle or towards one more video or one more image just to get that next thrill. And then what you found is that when that thrill is gone, the emptiness and the brokenness is still there. Or maybe you've thought, man, if I just work 80 hours a week, then I don't have to face the reality that there's something that's missing in my life and broken in my life. It's Pascal who said this. He said that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known to us through Jesus Christ. Friends, I want you to know this morning that nothing will satisfy you. Nothing will fill that vacuum of that God-shaped hole that is in your heart. No created thing, no amount of money, no matter relationships, no matter anything else, will fill that God-shaped vacuum. Only God, the creator, can do that through his, the blood of his son, Jesus. So won't you come today? Won't you come and be redeemed by his precious blood? Come and believe in Jesus Come and be raised from your dead life that you lived in ignorance. Come and repent of your sins and be raised with Jesus through baptism today. I'm going to be in the lobby in just a minute. If you're ready to come and give your life to Jesus. For those of us who have, let's get our minds ready for action. By daily adjusting who we are with God's truth and not the other way around. Let's adjust our self-view to God's view of the new us. Let's adjust our behaviors to God's direction so that we can enjoy this life that he has given us, this new life that he has given us. Let's set our hope on his grace. Let's start living as obedient children. Let's be holy because the one who calls us is holy. We have not been redeemed with meaningless things, with perishable things. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. So friends, let's start living like it. We pray with me. Father, we thank you 
that even though we have tried to fill our life with, with perishable things, with silver, with gold, with, with money, with titles, with relationships, with other things, Father, we thank you that like Solomon, we can say that they're meaningless. They're pointless. And Father, we thank you that we have not been redeemed with those meaningless things because then life would have no point. But Father, we thank you that you have redeemed us through the precious blood of your son, Jesus. You have poured out your grace on us, giving us what we don't deserve, taking the punishment that we do deserve and placing it on your son, Jesus, and then giving us forgiveness and everlasting life, the opposite of what we've earned. Father, we thank you for your grace because it changes everything for everyone. Father, if there are those that are listening this morning who are far from you, would you call them to yourself today? Would you lead them to put their faith in your son Jesus and lead them to repent of their sins and meet you in baptism? And Father, for those of us who have, would you help us to get our minds ready for action? by having them daily renewed by the truth of your word. Because, Father, we know that if we are daily renewing our minds, then our hearts will follow after. And when our hearts follow after, then our lives will begin to be lived in obedience to who you are and what you have called us to be and do. Father, you have made us new, so help us to start living as your new creation. Help us to start living as your ambassadors, and help us to announce 